0: My name is Sean, and I have Christmas traditions I observe, I go to concerts, and I record podcasts, just like any other schnook. So this is it, chapter 47 of Autobiography of a Schnook, and uh, thank you for joining me. I was about to say my name, but I realized I already did say my name at the very beginning of this episode. So how have you been? Um, Actually, forget I asked that. I can't really hear you. Um, I have been busy. So busy that I am recording this pretty darn late. It's December 22nd as I speak. And um, I don't know if I'm going to have this out in time for Christmas. And if I don't, oh, well, there's going to be a lot of Christmas talk here. And there's also going to be a lot of not Christmas talk. So, eh, whatever. I don't know what else to say other than I'm just going to get right into things. And remembering how I wanted to have three individual segments, a schnook's life, a schnook's thoughts, a schnook's music, and some kind of a bulleted list in every episode. I have come up with a a bulleted list for this episode that will be covered in a schnook's thoughts. My thoughts on Christmas specifically, food and drinks. And these are food and drinks that I associate with Christmas. I like to kind of discuss here. I have, uh, yeah, give or take, a dozen bullet points here. Now, interestingly, even though it's traditionally in the United States a Thanksgiving meal, turkey for me, I also associate with Christmas because my mother used to bake a turkey at Christmas every year. She hasn't done that in a long time, though. She hasn't done that. I don't know why. Just kind of noticed recently, wait a minute, we used to have turkey all the time. now we don't. Because in our house, there were two big turkey holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it was wonderful both times. (laughs) Lately, my mother has been switching to just baking something simple, or at least simpler for her, like a ham maybe, and maybe ordering some uh, roast beef from Portillo's from their catering service, which I know she's doing this year. Or if you're hearing this after Christmas, which I know she did this year. (laughs) But for me, the turkey and gravy, man, that's a Christmas thing. But in recent years, especially since I moved from New Jersey to Chicago, one thing I've been associating with Christmas a lot, steak. Yeah, seriously, steak. Partly because at the company I was working for when we first moved to Chicago, a lot of times at Christmastime, uh, one of our big bosses from uh, the company headquarters in Massachusetts would fly out and take us out to dinner. And it was usually Shula's Steakhouse, uh, though Don Shula owned a chain of steakhouses. Binder stole a bunch of Shula's Steakhouses, actually, even now after he's gone. And it was amazing. It was so good. And uh, my wife, Lisa, and I, Sometimes would do that as well. After I told her about how great it was, we'd splurge because it's not cheap, (laughs) and we go out for dinner for her birthday, which is the twenty first of December, at Sheila's Steakhouse, and the steak was incredible. And you know what? Actually, it wasn't so much the steak. I think it was the uh, hollandaise sauce that they put on it. That was what made it incredible. Because if you take away the sauce. The steak wasn't quite as good. In fact, the steaks that I make on the grill outside, way better. Time for some cross promotion here. My Pie Factory podcast co-host and longtime friend Jim once said, uh, "I'm sure he said it many times, but I heard him say it once that if a steak is cooked properly, you don't need any sauce." And he is absolutely right. And um, the proof of that was. At a new place that just opened, I think earlier this year, called Smoke Steak, and Smoke is spelled S M O Q U E. There was a separate barbecue joint. Um, I think it's one of those places where you can walk, where you walk in, you order, they hand it to you over the counter. A lot of those tre- that kind of trendy thing called Smoke, and they just opened a steakhouse. We went there for Lisa's birthday this year, and I had a ribeye there. And just without putting any sauce on it, I was, I just about slid down under the table. I was so, it just so overwhelmed me. It was so good. A couple of years we went to McCormick and Schmick's. This year for Christmas, we are going to or went to, depending on when this episode comes out, the Weber Grill restaurant downtown Chicago for Christmas. And I know dang well I'm going to order a steak. I had a burger the last few times I was there, but no, it's going to be a steak this year. So, I, that's why I associate steak. In fact, one year on Christmas Eve, I grilled some steaks and lobster tails, and it was so good. And I think it was like two degrees out too. So, yeah, temperature does not preclude me from grilling. Lightning, yes. Rain or snow, yes. But temperature, no. But of course, Christmas is more of a dessert food day. So, things that I associate with Christmas, I'm probably going to bring this up later on in this podcast, but Fantasy Fudge. What's Fantasy Fudge? It's that stuff that is, uh, it's that recipe that's on on some sizes of the Kraft Marshmallow Cream Jar. I think on the normal size, they stopped uh, putting it there. They said, hey, go to our website for this recipe. But my mother makes that stuff every year, and she has done that as long as i've been alive and it's amazing she doesn't follow the recipe exactly she makes a couple of substitutions here and there and it's freaking amazing i think it was 2 years ago i actually i wanted to learn i said mom you know there's going to come a time when i'm no longer when you're no longer going to be able to make this stuff and i want to know how to make it cuz i don't want this to not be in my life and she said okay next time i make it you're going to help me so i did And she showed me how what modifications she made, how she monitored the temperature of everything. And I tried it a couple of times. The first time, it didn't come out too well. And it's because I think that I used butter. But she says she uses margarine. So I tried margarine the second time I tried it. And it was much closer. I'm almost there to where mom has it. I mean, it was still good before but the way my mother makes it is is amazing and i'm getting there i'm getting there i got to keep practicing so that's a big christmas thing and my mother knows that there will be hell to pay if she doesn't make a tin of that stuff and send some home with me and my brother we're we're both we're both uh, very foot down on that and of course cookies i mean what's christmas without cookies obviously Now, when I was a little kid and the years when we would have all kinds of family over for Christmas, my uncles, my cousins, my grandparents and everything, my mother made a crap ton of different cookies. She made Christmas tree cookies with a little uh, frosting on them to uh, make the garland on them and uh, red sugar thingies, I guess, to give it a little color. And little metallic-ish but edible balls on top of the trees. They, those were pretty cool. And the same dough, she'd make Christmas wreath cookies. And I think she'd use uh, red frosting to make bows on the wreaths. And, uh, man, I, I love those. The raw dough. <laughs> um, she would hit the roof if I tried it. So when she wasn't looking, I'd take a little tiny piece of raw dough. And it's like, oh, it was so good. <laughs> so good. And she would also make nestle toll house chocolate chip cookies and though those are the best cookies ever the nestle toll house chocolate chip cookies the only problem though is that sometime i think in the early 90s my mother tried pan cookies and ever since whenever she made those things the toll house cookies it was the pan style cookie i mean don't get me wrong they're really good I, i really like them but they're not quite as good as the individual standard round cookies. But she stuck with the pan cookies because they're easier to make. Thankfully, my wife Lisa makes a regular cookie. Sometimes I make them too. Sometimes. And of course, every what was tradition was that somehow, some we would end up with weird cookies in the house. Or at least cookies that I was never familiar with. Like two days after Christmas, I'd see this batch of cookies on the counter in a bag, a Ziploc bag or something, and uh, they're brown sugar-based. You probably know what I'm talking about. They're brown sugar-based, and they have in the middle of them a Hershey's Kiss, and those were never as good as actual chocolate chip cookies. There was something a little bit off about the brown sugar base, the dough. I mean, it was still okay. There was nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't quite what you would expect, and I never knew where those came from because my mother didn't make them, my dad, my, my dad, I don't think he ever operated a stove in his life, let alone an oven. So actually, no, he probably used an oven to make frozen pizza, but that's about it. So I don't know where those, I think that's true with anybody. Everybody's house suddenly without warning, those things appear and I have no explanation for it. They tend to be kind of dry too. So I don't know. And there are a couple of drinks that I associate with Christmas that, uh, of course, are very special to me. Now, eggnog, of course, everybody everybody knows about eggnog. The only thing is, I never had eggnog until I moved in with Lisa in 1998. Never had it. We never. We just never had it at home. I don't know why. So I tried some, and I'm surprised that it was Lisa, of all people, to introduce me to eggnog because... She hates eggs. She will not eat eggs. As an ingredient, sure, but something that's where the first word is egg in it, she won't eat egg foo young. (laughs) She won't have egg in her fried rice or anything like that, but yet she's having an egg-based drink. I don't know what that's all about, but I'd see in TV shows, they'd talk about eggnog and I'm thinking, "Mm, why don't we ever have, we never have that. Why don't we ever have, I never brought it up. But man, once I had it, I was like, oh, this is really good. It's kind of like liquid candy in a way, but it tastes so good. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Now, when I first met Lisa, she never, ever, ever had alcohol. Well, almost never. It was rare. It was rare. And then when she became a teacher, she drank, I mean, she would order a drink at a restaurant now and then, and she'd go out drinking with her colleagues after, say, the school year ended and all that. And I'd be on call to pick her up, but in the last few years she went back to her previous ways of hardly ever drinking at all. The only alcohol she ever drinks now is when she puts a little bit of rum in her eggnog. Malibu rum—that stuff is so good. So, yeah, Lisa introduced me not only to eggnog but also Malibu rum. Oh man, you gotta be careful with that stuff. It's so good you'll end up drinking the whole friggin' bottle. So yeah, I like my. Uh, my eggnog and my Malibu rum on it. And um, something else that I've been liking is interestingly enough, the last couple of years, Lisa's been getting the uh, soy based eggnog. It'll stay good longer. <laughs> uh, we don't make our own. In fact, I, I was thinking of making some and uh, Lisa said, wait a minute, that has all those eggs in it and they're raw. No way. I'm not touching that. St- Dude, what do you think eggnog is? So I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, definitely a Christmas drink for me. Coca Cola in a glass bottle is all about Christmas. I mean, the ideal Christmas to me would be early evening, Christmas trees on, all of our lights for Christmas, strings of lights and stuff are on, light out, Charlie Brown Christmas playing on the TV, having a glass bottle of Coke. Oh, snow outside. That would be wonderful. We haven't had snow in a long time for Christmas. (laughs) But that'd be great. Coca-Cola, snow, a Charlie Brown Christmas, Christmas tree lit, and the regular house lights off. Ooh. And for me, personally, I don't know why this is a Christmas thing for me, but Bailey's Irish Cream. I always have a bottle of it around Christmas time. And I actually forgot about that until Lisa reminded me this year. She was out uh, grocery shopping on her way home from work, and she said, do you need a bottle of Bailey's? I said, ugh. Yes, yes, I do. So there's a bottle of Bailey's on our counter. Ah, can't wait to have some of that stuff. Now, I don't get very religious, but I have always said that I will never be an atheist. And there are several reasons I never will be, many of which I'm not going to get into right now, or possibly ever. But one reason is Bailey's Irish cream. Man, have a sip of that stuff, and you cannot convince me That God does not love me. (laughs) Oh, so good. I just got to find some recipes for that. Like make some kind of like shake recipe. I've had a a shake at Fran's in Toronto. They have adult shakes there. And uh, a couple of them have Bailey's. I had one of them and it was just heaven. Oh, oh my goodness. But that's uh, what I had to say about Christmas food and drink. And going to get into a schnook's life next, sticking with the Christmas theme. I'm going to talk about the first two Christmases that I had after Lisa and I got together, and what a difference that year made. I'm about to tell you something that I don't remember a heck of a lot about strange that someone would tell you a story while being fuzzy on the details, but as I've said before, this podcast is a little bit about self-therapy, so I guess you could count this as therapy. If I recall correctly, I did not spend Christmas 1998 with my family, but rather either shortly before or shortly after. I had moved to New Jersey that October, when Lisa and I decided that our long-distance relationship needed to be no longer long-distance if we were going to make it work. Certainly, I've mentioned before that the decision was a no-brainer. I was two years out of college and was still living with my parents in the Chicago suburbs, but Lisa was out on her own, two blocks from the beach. Gee, who was going to make the big move? I guess it was simply that Lisa and I didn't want to be apart for our first Christmas, and with her mother basically having nobody else nearby to spend Christmas with, the decision was that we'd be in New Jersey for Christmas— Not that my mother was thrilled with the decision, but what was I supposed to do? I recall when I was about to make the move, a dear friend of mine from high school, who two years prior had also moved out east, told me that when I go back for visits, I just won't have time to see everybody that I want to see, and everybody who wants to see me. Part of me is thinking that Bridget was trying to tell me that she wasn't going to have time to see everybody she wanted to see, including me, but that's beside the point. One thing that was on our minds that we would have to tell my family that, uh, well, I honestly wasn't looking forward to telling because God knows what kind of reaction I'd get, especially from my mom, Lisa and I were engaged. Mind you, we had only just met in March of that year and had only been actually together in person since October, uh, barring, of course, a few visits in between. And yeah, that was quick, especially given that my aforementioned friend had already been in Pennsylvania for two years with her then-boyfriend, now husband, and they hadn't yet been engaged. Yeah, we moved quickly, but we were pretty darn sure of what we wanted for ourselves and for each other. If you've never been in a long-distance relationship that turned serious, let me tell you how that goes, or should I say how it went for Lisa and me in 1998. We spent a lot of time on the phone, and uh, this was before there were unlimited long-distance plans. We had two phone dates every week, Wednesday night and Sunday night, and uh, those calls would get pretty long. Rather than give my parents a heart attack when the phone bill arrived, Lisa would call and we'd divvy up the charges after her at and employee discount kicked in. <laughs> her boss nearly passed out once when he saw the phone bill that she submitted for reimbursement. <laughs> when we weren't on the phone, we'd communicate over email. Between the time we met in person for the first time in March and the time I moved in with her in October, we had two in-person visits. One for a week in New Jersey, and another for a few days for Beetlefest in Chicago, with a visit to my parents' house first. When all you really have is phone and email conversations, you talk about a lot of things. Your ambitions, your goals, your dreams, your desires, your habits, what you want out of life, how many kids you think you'd like to have someday. Basically, without being physically together, you still get to know each other extremely well when all you have is verbal and written communication. So yeah, when we were engaged, we were both quite sure that we knew what we were getting into and that we were doing the right thing. Getting back to our visit in December 1998, one of the things that I do remember about that trip was that we decided we would tell my parents as soon as possible about our engagement after we arrived. When we got to my parents' house, we took off our shoes, sat in the living room with my parents on the couch, and Lisa and I each on one of two matching gold-colored upholstered seats that had been around since at least the time I was born. Well, eventually, in the course of making small talk, I came out with it. And uh, Lisa and I decided to get married, I said. Honestly, I don't remember what happened next, but it might be that my parents, especially my mom were just so numb from shock that they didn't have the energy to raise their voices or question our decision after being a couple for only nine months and an in-person couple for an even shorter time. But I do remember my mom saying, you know, your brother and your sister-in-law were sitting in those chairs too when they told us. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. They were sitting in those chairs and they were telling my parents that they were going to be married and uh, that there was a child on the way to uh, my Parents were very strict Catholics. So, yeah, that was taboo in our family. <laughs> this time, however, there was not a baby on the way. So, we had to reassure them that. And also, my brother's marriage was about to fall apart any second. And uh, so, being reminded that they were in those gold chairs when they announced their wedding, we immediately, reflexively stood up and said, Yeah! I do think there was at least one half-hearted congratulations said by one of them, especially after we made it clear that we were not, as one friend put it, racing the stork, unlike my brother and his now ex-wife. I also remember that when we were about to unload our things upstairs, my mother made it a big deal to tell us very loudly that one of us would take my old bedroom and the other would take my brother's old bedroom because you're not married yet so you have to sleep separately. We rolled our eyes, even though we knew damn well to expect that. I won't go into the details of how physically uncomfortable it was for Lisa to sleep in my brother's old bed, whose mattress was probably the same one he'd had since at least the 70s. I had what I considered a short list of friends I wanted to visit while we were in town, but that list got considerably shorter as my mother guilted me into making sure we did certain things, including going to Delvin, Wisconsin to see my grandparents. They're not getting any younger, she said, and yeah, she was right, of course. Kind of figured that was coming. Eventually, my mom announced on what day we would be visiting them. The drive from Joliet to Delavan was a good two hours, at least half of it through the middle of nowhere. Just to give you an idea of the decisions my grandparents made, I might have talked about this before, but I'll bring it up again. Well, most likely my overbearing grandfather made the decision for the both of them. My grandparents lived in a neighborhood in Chicago called Bucktown. Nowadays, Bucktown is pretty posh, and you have to either be super rich to live there or willing to have many, many, many roommates. But when my grandparents lived there, that wasn't exactly the case. But it was in the same apartment where my grandmother was born and where her parents lived when they immigrated to Chicago from Lithuania. One day, probably around 1962 1963, My grandfather announced that they were moving to a new house in Morton Grove, a suburb just outside of Chicago on the north. Oh, and not only were they moving to that new house, but they were moving the next day. They lived in Morton Grove until, I think, 1985 when they retired to Delavan. Now, Delavan, which is just over the Wisconsin-Illinois border, is one of those places you might go to visit in the summer. Fishing, swimming, camping, stuff like that but in the winter, it's about as lively as the nearest Sears store to you is right now. My grandparents owned a small summer cottage there, just a short walk down the hill to Delavan Lake, and with a nice view of the lake in the backyard. To finance the new house, my grandfather sold the summer cottage without telling anybody in the family. That really pissed off my mother and her brothers. They easily would have pooled their money together and bought the house from him, but nope! The old man never thought of anybody but himself. The new house was a couple of streets farther up the hill from the lake cottage, and maybe if you squinted your eyes, you could see a tiny bit of the lake between the trees in the backyard. The new house was a split level, meaning as soon as you walk in, you have to go either upstairs or downstairs. Oh, did I mention it was in the middle of nowhere, (laughs) and that the Midwest gets extremely cold, snowy, and icy in the winter? This... My friends is where my grandparents, well, grandfather likely, decided to spend their old age. And on top of that, my grandmother never learned how to drive. I mean, to be fair, for the first half of her life, she didn't really need to. Chicago back then had plenty of reliable mass transit to get around, and she likely walked to a lot of places as well. Even in Morton Grove, she could still take a bus to a lot of places, and she had friends who could drive her around. But in Delavan, she was, for the most part, at the mercy of my selfish grandfather. She needed to go shopping or wanted to go out to eat. When we got to Delavan, I saw a side of my grandmother that I never saw before. Usually, she was more than happy to see her grandson, but this time, she was pretty irritable, perhaps annoyed, even rude, including to Lisa. (laughs) At some point, she mentioned that she got our Christmas card and that, I quote, I didn't like it at all. My mother also chimed in that she, too, didn't like it. It wasn't colorful enough, she said. Friends, let me explain what the Christmas card that we sent out looked like that year. It was a really cool picture of Midtown Manhattan during Christmas, probably sometime in the 30s, all decked out for the holiday. I thought it'd be a really cool card to send people to kind of represent the part of the country I was living in. I mean, think about it, New York City at Christmas time, the Thanksgiving Parade, Miracle on 34th Street, ice skating at Rockefeller Center by the big Christmas tree, the Radio City Christmas show. Yeah, I've talked before about my complicated, antagonistic relationship with New York City, but you can't deny how iconic a New York City Christmas really is. But really, complaining about a freaking Christmas card, not appreciating being thought of during the holidays? And if the congratulations from my parents about our upcoming nuptials was half-hearted, the congratulations from my grandmother was quarter-hearted at best. Needless to say, Lisa wasn't feeling the least bit welcome in my family. We were able to get together with my friend Andrew, who was another close friend from high school. He came over to my parents' house, sat down, and basically repeatedly shook his head and asked us what the hell we were doing. God, you're crazy! You're you're really thinking about doing what you're doing. He would loudly sigh and shake his head between sentences constantly. Well, things are going quite well. My parents were pretty indifferent about Lisa and me, my grandparents even less so, and one of my best friends was trying to talk us out of it. We could not wait to get the hell out of there and go back to New Jersey. Now, let's skip ahead to uh, not quite a year I say not quite because my Christmas visit to my family, once again, wasn't going to be exactly ON Christmas, again, much to my mother's chagrin. Well, what was I going to do? My previously mentioned friend Bridget was getting married in her childhood parish in Joliet in early December. She was always one of my favorite people on the planet, and she was there for me when Lisa and I got married. She sang at the wedding, in fact, and there was no way in hell I was going to miss hers, especially after she asked me to do a reading after her cousin chickened out. (laughs) In fact, I came close to quitting my job over that when my boss told me I wouldn't be able to take that time off due to deadlines, despite already being approved and having booked the flight and everything. And uh, I hated that job too, so I was dying for an excuse to walk out, but instead the boss said, well... I really shouldn't have approved that, but just know for next year you can't take the time off the same week. But anyway, that's beside the point. In the days leading up to that trip, neither Lisa nor I was feeling good about it. The miserable visit the year before was still fresh in our minds. I remember when we were getting ready for the trip, Lisa had WCBS, the New York oldie station, tuned in on the living room radio. I Only Have Eyes For You by The Flamingos came on. Lisa got a little bit emotional over that because it was one of her father's favorite songs. Sadly, she had lost her dad a few months before we met, and they were very close. She felt that hearing that song meant that her father was watching over her. Another of his favorite songs was Don't Worry Baby by the Beach Boys. Many a time since his passing, to this day, Lisa would hear that song either in a store, on their AV system, or on the radio during particularly difficult times. And she always felt that her father was sending a message. Don't worry, baby. Everything will turn out all right. As she heard the mellow strains of the flamingos singing that old doo-wop song, Lisa put her head on my shoulder and said, I could really use a Don't Worry Baby right now. I swear to whatever deity you choose to believe in, this happened. The very next song that WCBS played, Don't Worry Baby. But whatever was going to happen, we had very specific plans that we were putting our feet down on just to make sure we could have some kind of a good time no matter what happened. Of course, there was already Bridget's wedding and rehearsal to take up some time, and we planned to spend a day in Chicago, which we did not do during the previous Christmas time visit. Once again, we visited the grandparents, but this time it was totally different. My grandmother was very welcoming and managed to hold a very nice conversation with Lisa. Shockingly, my grandfather made at least some kind of effort to be charming rather than his usual frowny, scowling self, whose two methods of conversation involved either sitting in grumpy silence or yelling at my grandmother or yelling about black people. We had a nice time at Bridget's wedding where Lisa got to meet a few other of my good friends from high school. We were able to go out on our own a few times without getting a hard time, including an enjoyable afternoon in Chicago and getting back to my parents' house in time for dinner. Years later, Lisa and I asked my mom if she remembered when we all went to the grandparents' house in 1998, and she remembered it well. I said, is it just us, or was Grandma kind of crabby that day? And Lisa added, yeah, she was, well, rude. My mom said, no, it wasn't just us. She said that my grandmother was in a bad mood, likely because when she called her and said that I was in town and we wanted to come over for a visit, She was planning to go out gambling in Iowa that day or something, and was kind of pissed that they had to cancel their plans. According to mom, she said to my grandmother, Look, your grandson is in town from New Jersey, so if you want to see him, this will be your last chance for a while. Thankfully, every subsequent time we saw my grandmother, she was the same grandma I always knew, very welcoming and loving and glad to see family. Also, years later, when I was talking with Andrew, he confessed that when my mom found out he'd be visiting she privately asked him to try to talk me out of getting married. He said that he wanted for me whatever I wanted for me. The same guy who spent that evening in 1998 trying to talk both me and Lisa out of getting married, period, and who swore he would never get married, actually himself got married eventually. Uh, Unfortunately, that marriage didn't last very long. But Lisa and I were married 18 months almost to the day we met, and uh, we're still going strong nearly 25 years later. So to those who tried to talk us out of it or question my decision, I say, "Yeah!" I don't know what happened, though, between 1998 and 1999 that my family was much more receptive to Lisa and me, but <laughs> whatever, I'll take it. And we haven't gotten that cold reception since. Uh, then again, in 2000, we couldn't go out to uh, visit in the Christmas time because, well, long story short, my boss screwed me out of uh, vacation time. And in 2001, when we actually did go out, and it was actually Christmas, my mother gave me the tongue lashing of a lifetime for that previous year. But still, every Christmas since has been much more welcoming, much more inviting with my family. Sure, there are some awkward moments, as you always expect at family gatherings, but thankfully it's been much more easy to tolerate. And for you parents out there who might be wondering why your kids might seem to be reluctant to do certain things with you, well, really take a good look at yourself and uh, think about what might have happened. Think about what happened to me. Yeah, it wasn't the worst thing in the world, but years later, it still leaves a bad taste in our mouths. And remember what the time of year is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about guilt. It's not supposed to be about being antagonistic. It's about peace. It's about giving. And, of course, it's supposed to be about presents, food, and uh, having a few days off, too. But (laughs) that's beside the point. Or or is it? Actually, no, that sounds pretty good to me. Ooh, man, especially those days off and the nice food. Ooh, God help my mother if she doesn't make that fantasy fudge. Yeah, Christmas in 1999 was much better than 1998 when visiting my family. But even after that, there was still a little bit of tension having to do with my distance living in New Jersey and trying to figure out the logistics of visiting the Chicago suburbs around Christmas and the time that I spent doing so. And it seemed that no matter how long I was out there, two weeks once, it wasn't long enough and I'd get a hard time over it. (laughs) But um, that's not really an issue now that I'm back in the area and I live in Chicago now just an hour up the road. But then, of course, there came the, the issue of Lisa... And her mother, and uh, <laughs> and now Lisa's got to put up with the pain of not spending enough time there. But what we do now is her mother actually flies out to spend a few days with us here in Chicago, so we can all be together. And um, at this point, we're gonna cut away from Christmas and uh, move on to non-Christmas. This is a autobiography of a schnook tradition that I started, I think, in 2018. Or was it 2019? I think it was 2019, actually. And it was rudely interrupted by a pandemic. And um, anyway, we're doing it this year. My wife Lisa is about to join me for the second consecutive episode of Autobiography of a Schnook to discuss a Schnook's music in terms of live music and the concerts and concert likes, spoiler, that we attended in 2023. This is the fourth time we're doing this, you know. Wow. Because we did one in 2019. Yes. We Maybe. did one <coughs> in 2020.
1: <laughs> that was what, about 30 seconds? Yeah.
0: 2021, <laughs> I think we only went to one show, didn't we?
1: I... So we went to the
0: Brian Wilson show in Waukegan, and I don't think there's anything else we did. Because yeah. that was when they were just starting to... Yeah,
1: because uh... in 20... Oh,
0: and we saw Mickey and Mike. Yes. Uh, Dolan's and Nesmith, by the way. And I mean,
1: I went to the uh, Alton Brown live, but you did not. But that also was not a concert.
0: Even though he did perform music.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that was a live stage show. And my first time back in a theater since March of 2020.
0: When we saw the, uh, my dad wrote a porno crew, (laughs) recite a, or read a chapter of uh, the great... Rocky Flintstone, yes, oh but that's that's not a concert either. No. But, hey, we actually have a few things to talk about this year.
1: And we did go to things last year.
0: Last yeah. year. Oh, yeah. We, last year we went to shows. Yeah, and we so, talked about that. So, hey, we're back again yeah. in 2023. Not as many this year, though.
1: Well, we went to shows, but they weren't concerts. We did do other things.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But hey, this is a schnooks music. So, yeah, so we're just going
1: to talk about music.
0: Yeah, yeah, something like that.
1: And what we did go to was really good.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, what was the first thing we we went to?
1: Now that you're asking me, I'm drawing a total
0: blank. (laughs) If memory serves me right, borrowing a line from the wonderful chairman Kaga, May 5th, we saw Mickey Dolan's. At the North Shore Center for Performing Arts in the beautiful, not downtown Skokie. It's not downtown Skokie, but you know. The thing about that is that was right at the tail end of a tour in which he was performing the Monkey's headquarters album. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, he's probably going to be doing headquarters. Let's go.
1: Well, that, well, actually, I did the thinking and said, let's go.
0: Yeah. Because you brought it up first because
1: I had seen, you know, this this show was a little bit of uh, a learning experience for me because I had been following on social media Mickey's headquarters tour and it sounded really great. But there weren't any dates anywhere near us. So it's like, uh, I I think like the closest maybe have been, there might have been a show in Milwaukee, yeah. but it was like on a weeknight and just not really very convenient or else it was when we had something else going on. Then I saw a mention on his social media that he was going to be in Skokie. I'm like, oh, he added some dates. Yeah. So I bought tickets and, and I was like, we're going to go. And then we get there and find out it was not a headquarters show at all. It was just a general Mickey show. and Sort of. And I know that there are people who will say, well, you know, it's Mickey and he's 70-something years old and he's wonderful and amazing and you should just be happy to see him no matter what. Yeah, that's true, but that's still not what I thought I bought a ticket for. And again, I mean, it's no fault. It's not like, oh, they screwed me over or something. I wasn't aware of what I was getting and the fact that maybe I should have been a little more tipped off that the ticket did not say that it was the headquarters tour. It was just Mickey Nolan. So, I mean, that show, it was kind of a disappointment for me. I got to be honest.
0: Yeah. Well, you did say when we figured out at some point that he wasn't doing headquarters, but he was doing some songs from headquarters, at least. You said, well, the good news is I don't hear I can't get her off my mind. (laughs) I know you're not the biggest fan in the world of that particular song.
1: Yeah, but still, I was looking forward to a lot of other things. Well, yeah, sure, sure. Especially because I had been reading about what was on the set list, what they had things on video screens. And, you know, it sounded like a really well put together production. And I was really looking forward to seeing it. And that's not what we got at all. There were a few Headquarters songs. Yeah, of course. But there was also a lot of the, oh, the 60s were so wonderful kind of thing, which at this point after, I mean, I'm a Gen Xer. And I've always loved the 60s. 60s pop culture has is a topic that's fascinated me since I was a teenager. But I do get a little tired of getting beaten over the head with how wonderful it was. (laughs) Because I wasn't there. It's like, okay, fine. Can we just have the music or, or whatever and just not go on about it? And he did some songs that were not monkey songs at all. They were just, I mean, I don't even remember. Most,
0: most of the second set was covers. Yeah. It was just co- like, for what it's worth, he did. Yeah. Um Coco sang White Rabbit, which we've seen her do before.
1: And I mean, okay, like maybe one cover is fine and cute, but... Dude, you have enough material of your own that yeah. you don't need to do this. Like this isn't like, say, the cow sills who do pad out their set list with a lot of covers and f-
0: to to fill it out. Yeah, and they flat out say, "Look, we only had four yeah. hits, so we got to yeah. do something." and <laughs>
1: and they do them really well, and yeah. that's and that's okay. But Mickey doesn't have to do that.
0: And the thing is, what gets me is, in addition to the monkeys' catalog. He also has his own solo career. And just fairly recently, not this year or last year, but recently enough, they were making a huge deal about a brand new remastered reissue of his Demoiselle album. He didn't do anything off that. Or he didn't do. Or Dolan sings Nesmith. Or Dolan sings REM. Was Dolan sings REM in the planning yet? Did we know about that? I don't at the think point? that.
1: That may not have been out yet. I don't think that came out until like later in the summer. Hmm. Not that I know how these things work, but I've followed enough things to know that contracts and permissions, it's very complicated. Yeah. And that he may have only had the rights to do headquarters for only so many shows. I mean cuz he does have to he does have to pay to use the monkeys name and
0: guitar the logo. Name and guitar logo, but yeah. he didn't have either. With this show.
1: Yeah, because he probably only had the rights for a certain number of shows, you know, so he couldn't oh, do... That,
0: that's true. I, I don't remember if it was Andrew Sandoval or somebody else who worked directly with Mickey at some point who said, here's why... The merch costs so much at a concert, Mm -hmm. and and they talked about how Mickey has to license the monkeys logo from Rhino, and they get a cut of the uh, the t shirt sales. Yeah, and And that's how
1: it has been for a very long time. I mean, back when I think in the '80s when they toured back then, I think Columbia, well, Columbia or Arista had the rights to the logo, which is why. The live album that they put out of their 1986 tour does not have the word monkeys except for theme from the monkeys yeah. as a song title, which they could put on there. And there was a guitar shape, but
0: it wasn't the.
1: It was distinctively not yeah. the monkeys' guitar logo or even a, like an outline of it. Exactly. But. So, I I mean, I get it. I don't fault Mickey at all. I'm not saying, oh, Mickey's a terrible person. Again, it was just maybe, well, now I know to look a little closer at what I'm buying a ticket for.
0: Yeah, sure. And I do like your theory, though, that perhaps what he was doing might have been kind of a uh, workshop of a theoretical storytellers show that might have been a tie in with the release of his new book that just came which, out.
1: Which, Which, I mean, and that would be fine, too.
0: But he didn't really tell many stories. No,
1: he didn't. And and really, if I were to see... Because we had seen such a thing with Peter Tork. Yeah. And not so much with Mike, but when Mike did a solo show, he did talk about his song. And I really... I, I enjoy that kind of thing. I like yeah, and hearing... P- and
0: like Peter Asher does.
1: Oh, my God. That man has stories.
0: Yes, he does.
1: <laughs> and when we went to see Janice Ian... Oh, yeah. Last year. I mean,
0: she... Well, she she only sang one song. Her yeah. whole, It was a master class.
1: Well, the whole but... thing was stories and advice and lessons learned. But I don't really care much for her music, but I sure loved hearing what she had to say. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if that's something Mickey was kind of thinking about doing, okay, cool. But it's got to be more than the same lines that he has said for the last... 30 years like oh i was told i had a great time Well, that's the name
0: of the book actually
1: i know i know but it's like he's
0: aware that he always says that stuff over and over
1: yeah but dude come up with new material (laughs) or hire some writers or something because you you got to shape things a little bit differently because we've heard a lot of this before yeah and another thing about mickey's show and i have no confirmation about this but He didn't seem like he was a hundred percent.
0: Yeah, that's right. He may have been
1: been coming down with a cold, like, like nothing where it's like, oh, he's a frail old man. I mean, it's more like he just seemed like he wasn't a hundred percent.
0: And I know that he did cancel slash reschedule a few shows around that time because he said, I'm realizing now that I'm not 28 anymore. I'm 78. I think I need a break. uh,
1: I think he canceled some stuff later in this year and basically admitted that his daughters <laughs> kind of i guess sat him down or something and or and something. also his yeah. his doctor basically just wanted him to take a break so i mean yeah i don't think it's so much that he's in poor health or that he's frail i think it's just more i mean even when you're young being out on the road is a lot more demanding than people think And he might just need to pace himself a little bit better. I don't think he has any intention of retiring. Oh, I don't think so either. And he should. I kind of hope he doesn't. If he's still happy, he should do it. I think he just needs to, he might need to just kind of step back and say, okay, I got to pace myself a little bit differently so that I don't have to cancel shows.
0: Yeah, right. I think the next thing we went to wasn't really a concert, but I still want to talk about it because it still perfectly fits within my whole little concept of a schnook's music. We saw a performance of Tommy because it was uh, last year at the Who show we saw at uh, the United Center when Pete mentioned over the microphone that they were going to be presenting Tommy at the Goodman Theater downtown Chicago.
1: And we kind of lit up.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, this might be something to do. I'm
1: listening. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, it was basically a test run for a revival of the Broadway show.
1: Which is happening. Which
0: is happening. On yes. Broadway. Yeah. Not right this moment, is it? I don't think it launched no, yet.
1: it's, I think it starts after the holidays. That, that's
0: what I thought, But yeah.
1: we're going in March.
0: Yay. Yeah, the one thing that'll the get one. me to go to New York. <laughs>
1: Hey, you said.
0: People who've listened to this podcast know about my complicated relationship with the city of New York. Hey, I love New York, so shut up. (laughs) But the show itself, if you haven't seen it, I remember sitting there and thinking, oh my God, this is wonderful. The way it's performed. I now can say I get Tommy mm. because listening to the 1969 album and watching the 1970 was it from 75 I think
1: 75 yes
0: watching that movie I'm like wait a minute there's there's some holes here that don't really make sense but for the Broadway stage there were some there were some pretty major story changes mm-hmm. made that actually does make sense it makes the story believable you don't have to suspend your belief so much And I remember watching this, listening to the performances, watching the actors and actresses. And uh, the first act wasn't even anywhere near done. And I thought, I need to see this again. It was so good.
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazingly done, especially something I, I noticed just looking through the program before the show is that you have three different actors playing Tommy. There's Tommy as a young child, and then Tommy as 10 or 11 years old, and then Tommy as an adult. And the two child Tommies, they had two actors, because they take turns, yeah, um, so that you don't have a kid doing eight shows a week.
0: Yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of labor. Oh, yeah. And um,
1: so that's four actors. Three of them were girls. Yeah. And... Of course, they're dressed like British schoolboys and have the the curly hair. But, I mean, they were amazing.
0: They really were.
1: Absolutely. Because I think at least the first time we went... Spoiler! (laughs) Yeah, we went twice. And I think both times we saw Tommy played by girls. I'm
0: 99.44% sure that's true. But, of course,
1: the whole time I'm thinking, like even though they're children, they seem to be pretty, especially looking at the program, all four actors had already had a significant number of credits in Chicago area theater and television programs that are shot here, TV commercials, things like that. So, I mean, these kids were pros even at their young ages, but still, man, they. I hope they had a lot of support around them for role they had to play because they're basically playing abused children Mm -hmm. and that had to be pretty heavy especially for say fiddle about
0: yeah every time i heard the opening strains i'm thinking oh god this is is gonna hurt yeah it's already (laughs) cats
1: out of the bag we did see it twice and the first time was it was still being workshopped. It hadn't had its yeah, official. It, it was a opening. preview at that point. And um I noticed when we saw it the second time that they did change a little bit of the staging for Fiddle About so that it didn't seem to be quite as disturbing. I mean, not like I ever thought that the child actor was ever in any danger. Of course. Yeah. But it was just they made it a little less horrible. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and something that makes me feel a little bit better is uh, I'm uh, reading Pete Townsend's book now called Who I Am. And yesterday, I had just read about the part when he had John Entwistle write the song. And Mm -hmm. he basically says that really the way he saw it, Tommy wasn't really actually being abused by Uncle Ernie. He was. It's the Uncle Ernie was kind of daydreaming about what he could do. Mm. So that kind of made me feel a little bit better. Yeah. As better as it could make me.
1: But the... The staging was just very minimal, but yet Mm -hmm. very impactful, Oh yeah, you know, with just the use of lights, of video screens. I mean, yeah, you have to use your imagination, but I think that just adds to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing about Tommy, and one of the reasons I wanted to include that, even though it's not really a concert, the thing about Tommy is the way the show is, it's almost but not quite an opera. There's hardly any spoken dialogue at all. There's really, honestly, no real spoken dialogue until just before the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Probably the final scene, there's like Tommy talking to his family and yeah. everything and explaining himself and all that. And uh, I thought it was just done so well. And one, th- this is uh, something I'll spoil uh, the three of you about, is that the way they present the pinball thing It's really downplayed Mm -hmm. in the movie and on the original album. It's like the main thing that makes Tommy tick. Yeah. On the Broadway version the play version, the stage version, it's there, but it's kind of mentioned, okay, here's this one scene. It's basically used only to reveal that he's not really clinically blind. He's only psychosomatically blind Mm -hmm. or something like that. That and the mirror. Those are the two devices they use. Yeah. It's not like, oh, my God, this kid's amazing at pinball. Let's have him teach us how to play pinball. It's like, oh, my God, this kid's blind, but he can still play pinball. Holy Mm -hmm. cow.
1: Yeah. And another spoiler alert, and I won't go too much into this. If you want to know, you can easily look this up online. But the ending and really a good chunk of Act 2 is different than the album and the movie. And I will say it kind of in the broadway sense they do make the ending a little more positive yeah because it's a broadway show you want people to leave happy yeah when you, when you have a broadway musical so
0: yeah i don't know and, how they're gonna do it at the uh, naderlander in uh, new york but at least at the goodman theater in the ground level of the building where the theater is, they had some pinball machines available to play, including a Tommy pinball yeah. machine, theme from the 1993 version of the musical.
1: Of course, it still does end with listening to you, which is, I mean, just an amazing thing to hear performed live by anybody. Oh, of course. And it's almost like you have to sing along. Like, you can't not sing along to that. Oh, of course. And the way it's staged, it almost encourages that. Yeah. So,
0: oh, one thing I do want to mention is if you do go see the show, whether it be Broadway or if they have a touring company, which I do believe is in the plans, yeah. there are some gunshots. So uh, mm-hmm. be prepared for that.
1: But when we went to, to see the show in June, again, they were still workshopping it. Yeah. And the director, yes, yes. Des Mackinoff, who was the director for the. 1993 original Broadway run. And he co-wrote
0: the book with Pete.
1: He actually got up before they began the performance to kind of explain that this is still kind of a work in progress and... I feel like almost apologize in advance if things don't seem to go quite right because my guess is that they may have had some performances where,
0: like the power went out or something,
1: or, or just, or just the way
0: he was talking there, that there I could mean, have been a really bad disaster. I mean,
1: there's a great deal of movement, yeah. in the show. I mean, it's not so much like dancing; it's not like oh da 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 da, which would be hysterical. Oh, man. Pete Townsend would die. But, uh, or he would do it just as a total joke on the universe. But uh, now I have this vision of Roger Daltrey in a striped jacket and a straw boater and a cane. He would do that.
0: Going, I am Tommy. He would do that. I could see him doing that.
1: And I mean, actually, there are parts that are definitely choreographed that go with the narrative. It's not like it's, It's not like it's gratuitous. It's a Broadway show, so we have to have Broadway show dancing. Yeah, I mean, it definitely fits in, but...
0: Sure, sure, yeah.
1: But there's a great deal of things moving around, like set pieces and mirrors and kind of what represents the pinball machine, which is a table with a lit frame behind it. So it's not actually a pinball machine. It's something that's it's the shape of a pinball yes, machine. Yes. So they may have had, seriously, they may have had situations where things weren't where they were supposed to be or people crashing into each other. And that's why you do this stuff. You have to uh-huh. iron it out. So, and I think it was also just looking at how it looked, how it, like, what did they want to do here? Yeah. And the director was sitting just a few rows ahead of us. And at the intermission, I think you got up to go to the washroom and a couple people came over to talk to him. I didn't really hear what they were saying, but I I did distinctly hear something about the Acid Queen. Yeah. I think like there were, you know, he must have had some other people like sitting in different parts of the theater who maybe had some notes on the staging for the Acid Queen number. So they were still kind of like saying, okay, how does this look? And and when we went the second time, I did notice a few significant differences oh, yeah. Yeah. in the show, just in the staging, a couple things tightened up. So it's cool to see that. I, I kind of like that because I know years ago, we went to see a Second City review that was in transition, meaning that they're kind of working on their next review. So they have Different sketches that they were trying out. And then we saw the show. We went again once it was actually set. And we kind of saw, like, what did they keep? What did they get rid of? So I find that interesting. Yeah.
0: And speaking of the acid queen. Man. When we saw Tommy the first time, it was pretty shortly after Tina Turner had died. Mm -hmm. And I saw that whole scene as a tribute to Tina Turner. Oh, yeah. And I thought it was beautifully done. Yeah. And that was when I was almost on the phone right then, buying tickets for the next time.
1: (laughs) And I will say, even though this is not billed as a concert, it's still, you know, it's a Broadway show. Yeah. I would still say it fits in with your category here because it was all music performed by a live band and sung by live singers. Yeah. It's just the difference is it was acted out instead of people just... Standing at instruments and microphones and things like that, but it's still definitely a concert. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I should mention on a who discussion page I, I follow on Facebook, somebody who had gone to, I think it was maybe the second to last show in Chicago. Said that an usher came over to him and said, "I think you're in the wrong seat, sir." He's, "Oh, I'm sorry," and he gets up. It's Pete Townsend.
1: Yeah. So, oh my God, it's Pete! There. It's like he should have the guy. He should have Pete autograph the seat for him. <laughs> well, yeah. And our our friend Jen went to the very last show of the run, and Pete was there as well. Yeah. Like he came in, I guess, for the weekend and went to several performances, and even got up to speak afterwards to just kind of thank everybody and give props to the creative team and he seemed to be very very happy with the yeah. whole thing.
0: Yep, absolutely. So All right, next.
1: Well, after seeing Tommy just 2 days later, we took the train up to Ravinia.
0: Yep, Highland Park, Illinois. And uh, we saw where I feel is the place to go for this particular event. We saw the current lineup of Chicago. Yes. And uh, if you remember uh, from last year, I was disappointed with Chicago. This year, it was pretty much the same show, except they didn't do any songs off their latest album. And uh, they threw in a couple of songs that that's usually in their sets that hadn't been last year because they had to cut it a little bit short. But I thought it was a fantastic show. I was real- I don't know why why the big change. I don't think that Robert Lamb was back was that huge a difference.
1: Well, I can tell you why because when we saw them last year, it was at an amphitheater that's way out in the middle of nowhere in a very not a very charming venue, definitely not a charming setting. <laughs> uh what's it called now
0: the it's, I, I it's not
1: the hollywood casino amphitheater anymore no, they like changed
0: credit something i don't know or other, i don't know
1: credit boob or something i, don't, I know. don't know but we had really good seats but they had this insane psychedelic lunatic video screen display every song they were like yeah they were playing their asses off but it's like dude like chill a little bit <laughs> so like you don't have to like Kill us with every song.
0: I don't think that's it at all because well, that, it, that didn't that's bother what it was, me. Well,
1: that, that's what it was. I mean, that bothered me. And I already went on about this before, but yeah. it's just that Ravinia is such a great place to go see a show. Yeah. I mean, unless you have pavilion seats, you really can't see the stage and you don't really need to. I mean, they have such a great sound system that anywhere where you're sitting in the park, It's going to sound good. You bring your chairs and a little table and something that lights up and you bring food, you bring drink, you get up there early, you stake out a nice place Mm, to sit. Shut up. And you just relax and listen to really good music. And then when they start 25 or 6 to 4, when they go da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da, you pack up really quick. And you get your butt to the train so you can actually sit down, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like get out before all the masses take up. There's
0: something in that band that forces them to end their shows with that because there's a concert video of them doing the second album in its entirety uh, from probably about 10 years ago. Even though that song, I don't remember where in the album that song is, but it's not last. But they changed the order so that it wouldn't be last in that concert. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Dude, come on. Where do we go from here should end that particular show? Yeah. Anyway.
1: But I just think it's a better place to see a show. It's more relaxed. And like I said, you're not just in a seat. Like, you can have a little bit of space and be a lot more comfortable i mean i really enjoy going to see chicago at ravinia just for that that, just for that reason i've
0: seen them three different places that's my favorite place to see yeah and uh, i i really loved the show except for the power ballads
1: but it's not like the i mean okay you gotta admit it's not like they weren't performed well you just don't care for those particular songs
0: Oh, I despise those particular. <laughs> One thing that's really cool, and I never really noticed before. I, I, they all, they've done this for years, but I never really paid attention until this year. They have, I think it's from 1974. It's from the Chicago 7 album. A Peter Cetera power, but ba- I don't think, I don't know if he wrote it, but he sang it. I've been searching for so long. Oh, yeah. But right at, okay, to me, that is You Are the Sunshine of My Life by Stevie Wonder. Because it's very, oh, God, do I have to listen to this? But what does Stevie do on the next track on the Talking Book album after that? Maybe Your Baby, Mm. when he turns the funk up and he gets super Stevie. Oh, yeah. Chicago does the same thing on Chicago 7. They have that god-awful power ballad. But then immediately after that, with No Pause, there's this really cool kind of Latina flavored almost instrumental, called Mongo Nucleosis. Mm Mm-hmm. And I remember just digging it so much that night. I'm like, holy crap, this is amazing. It's like Santana. And they were all getting into it, and I'm like, what is this tune? I looked up the set list, and it was Mongo Nucleosis, which they now perform entirely instrumental because they don't do the anymore, they play that on the horns. And that's why one time when you went to Rattleback Records, you said you were there. I said, look for Chicago 7 because I wanted that song. Um, (laughs) Something of interest. Again, Robert Lamb was back, so it's the usual lineup they have now. Jimmy Panko was doing most of the talking between songs, uh, the trombone player. He's one of the original guys. He's from the area, too. Somewhere toward the end of the show, he mentioned how... uh, Cooper Roberts and his family were in attendance, and uh, those of you who aren't aware, in Highland Park where Ravinia is, there was a shooting, a mass yeah. shooting. Last
1: 4th of July fourth during of their July. parade, and Cooper was a 8-year-old boy, and he and his brother and his mom were all injured. Mom and the brother recovered fairly quickly, but Cooper is... Uh, pretty Much permanently paralyzed from the waist down, and the local media has they, in fact, they just had an update on him the other day just how he's coping with things, how they got him into wheelchair sports like, really helping him adapt to like, he's,
0: he's really his, making the best of everything.
1: I mean, it, he, been, he's determined, but his, I mean, to be fair, his family has also been open about his struggles and yeah. how just all the. Difficulties that he has gone through in having to accept what his life is going to be like pretty much for the rest of his life. But they're also encouraging him to develop as much as he can. But Chicago had him and his family there as special guests, which I thought was really sweet. Mm -hmm. And I think they've also donated money to various efforts uh, to help the Highland Park community just cope and heal from all that happened
0: yeah but that was a good show and unfortunately it looks like we're not going to have that experience next year because they're on tour with earth wind and fire and ravinia is not one of the stops
1: yeah they're gonna they've already (laughs) they've already announced their tour dates and they're gonna be at uh Uh,
0: rosemont horizon
1: yeah you know that's gonna be loud yes
0: i know that's not the real name of it now but come on man
1: yeah we don't like dealing with goofy corporate names yeah
0: which is why we talk. Well, then again, United Center always was United Center. It was never anything else. And at least else, that so. it sounds. It sounds culturally. At
1: least it sounds yeah. nice. As opposed to guaranteed rate field. Oh, for
0: cream and or, sakes.
1: Or was it, Um, there's some city that has a Dunkin' Donuts arena. Oh my goodness. And, <laughs> it it, just, and of the- course,
0: what's the one that really pisses me off? Do tell. Great American Ballpark <laughs> in Cincinnati. I found out that was the name of their ballpark. I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's a cool name. You know, baseball? And then I found out it's a corporate name. It's, it's like
1: it's like an insurance company Yeah. Like, oh, come
0: on, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that kind of sucks. Oh, my sucks.
0: Lord. So, so. After then, Chicago, we saw Tommy again. And
1: well, we saw Tommy again later oh, in July. Oh, that's right. Yes. But before that.
0: Before July, yes. We... We? We. Oh, we.
1: In this whole thing of like, oh, yeah, we saw Tommy. So we figured, okay, not that these events happened in the order that it sounds like, because we had already had the tickets for this before the Tommy shows were announced, but it seemed to kind of fit in nicely that, hey, we're seeing Tommy on stage. How about we see the Who themselves But dear, the
0: problem is the Who aren't going to be anywhere near us. They're not even going to be in America. How are we going to do that?
1: Well, we got on a plane and we went went to England to see the... Okay, that's not the only reason why, but we kind of... That was what
0: forced us to do it.
1: Well, we were talking about going to London. And then when we found out that the Who was going to be performing there... We bought the tickets and then planned the trip around that. Yeah. So it wasn't like the sole reason why we went there, but it sure was a damn good reason to be there. <laughs> yeah.
0: O2 Arena.
1: At the O2 Arena, which is a very... Strange looking venue.
0: Yeah, on the outside, if you like notice, it, seen...
1: it looks like it's still under construction. Well, yeah, it's, even though it's it looks been around like it's for construction tense. it looks it's been around for almost twenty five years. Yeah,
0: we we took an Uber water taxi up there, that
1: which was so freaking cool it it was
0: and we passed i'm like wait is that the o2 arena we're passing because i think i've seen a picture of it and it looks kind of like but is that it or is that something under construction
1: yeah it's because it's like there's this framework that if you don't know what it is it looks like construction cranes yeah but it's the framework of the venue and there's like a whole shopping mall attached it's 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 strange But yeah, we because we were staying at a hotel pretty close to the Thames. And we found out that a way to when I was checking things out on the O2 site, because before I bought the tickets, I wanted to make sure like this show wasn't going to be way out somewhere that would be really difficult to get to. And it's like, oh, okay, it's it's right in London. And there's different ways to get there. But on the O2 sites is you can take the Thames Clipper and it's like, Ooh, so yeah, it's a water taxi that took maybe about twenty minutes.
0: Yeah, including all the stops that it had. Yeah,
1: and it was it was a beautiful evening, so it was just really an awesome way to get to a show. Mm You know, because once you get off, you just walk up a little bit, and there it is. Yep. And I mean, just like how we had seen Brian Wilson at the Hollywood Bowl, which is just minutes from his house. And in the area he grew up, it's like, yeah, let's see the Who in their hometown. Yeah. <laughs> and it was awesome.
0: Yeah. I did notice it had the same problem that the United Center had when we saw the United Center in that in one ear, I could hear everything. But in the other ear, I could hear nothing but ambient sounds <laughs> because of the way the audio was being yeah. projected. They had nothing in the back. Yeah. So it was it was just weird but it was a great show.
1: And what did Pete say when he took the stage?
0: What did he say? I don't remember.
1: Something like, wake the f*** up or something. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Something like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And one thing I remember very clearly about this was uh, during Behind Blue Eyes, Roger was mixing the verses up and he was singing the wrong lines from the wrong verses. And he just put the microphone down, just threw his hand up and walked away and he made everybody start over.
1: Yeah. I had read online, there's something called the Backstage Blog, which is written by one of their people for every show on the tour. And he noted that Roger was stuck in traffic getting out to the O2. So he missed the sound check. Oh, so that might have explained that Roger just was a little bit off kilter because he was late and he didn't get to kind of
0: go through what he normally does before a show. So from what I read on that uh, discussion group about the who that happens a lot with Roger, actually, it just so happens that was the time we that was the one time we saw it. Like he often screws things up and makes the band start all the way over from the beginning.
1: <laughs> and it's not like the show was really any different from what we saw at the United Center last fall.
0: Well, they did, I can't explain, which True. we never heard them do before. True. At any yeah, I mean of our no, shows. there were
1: there I mean, there were a few changes in the set list, which they do, but when we've yeah. seen them before, there were times where maybe one night they'll do one song and the next night in that spot, they do another song and they might go back and forth or, or like I think the first time we saw them in concert, they had been doing a quick one while he's away, but then they stopped because maybe they weren't happy with it.
0: And after I saw videos of them, I was like, yeah, it's it's not all that And It wasn't. It's not rock and roll circus.
1: (laughs) 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 But. They may, so I think they kind of mess with things a little bit. Yeah. It was the same feel as seeing The Who here, but still, again, it's like, we're seeing The Who in London. How awesome is that?
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I was talking to a guy sitting to my right. He'd heard us talk, oh, you're from America. And everybody was so nice to us over there, seriously. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me about how, uh, I think he said that was his first time seeing The Who and he was there with his father-in-law who was there seeing The Who for the first time since 1973. Mm, Wow. Because I guess he saw them uh, on the Quadrophenia tour, or is that what they were... Yeah, that would have been that same tour when uh, that lucky Scott guy got to play drums with them at the Cow Palace in Daly City, not San Francisco.
1: (laughs) Because Keith took, like, horse tranquilizers (laughs) or something and passed out cold. Uh,
0: Oh, man. Well, it's...
1: I mean... Our trip to London was just absolutely amazing, and you've already covered this in yes. in a previous Schnook uh, episode. You actually listened? No, you told ah. me. But a friend of mine lived in London for a number of years and frequently travels there on business. In fact, I think she's there as we speak. Oh, man. And... Um, She gave me some good advice about traveling there and answered some questions I had before, you know, as we were planning our trip. And she said from what she found that as long as you're not an obnoxious idiot or running around wearing a MAGA hat or something, (laughs) that like British people are pretty nice to Americans. And it's kind of like how we're so charmed by a British accent. If they hear an American accent, they're often interested or think it's kind of cool or whatever. And she said it, what she found, it's kind of a holdover from World War II, hmm. that there was a lot of, there's still a lot of gratitude for, you know, like kind of a good opinion of Americans just because of the way we were allies to England and helped them out during the war. And uh, that feeling of goodwill has just lingered ever since. And, you know, I'm sure not every British person totally loves Americans, but just of the course. general vibe is very good. Because I was I was asking, like, how do I not look like an American idiot?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like a, one of our British friends was telling us, I, I said, hey, as far as I'm concerned, you guys can take us back. OK, she said, we'll, we'll take half of you. <laughs> <laughs> but and um, yeah,
1: that trip, though, I mean. I can't wait to go back.
0: (laughs) Let's go back tomorrow. No, we can't. No,
1: we're busy. Yeah.
0: After that, uh, we came back. Well, not not right after the concert, but, you know, a few days later, we came back home. And then shortly after that, we saw Tommy again. Yeah, we saw Tommy
1: again, like, at the, I think it was, like, end of July, I think we went. Yeah. Because I think they had to close the beginning of August.
0: Yeah. They had extended it a couple of times, but they had to close because there was another show coming in. And I'm thinking, just go to another theater. How hard can it be? Yeah,
1: I don't think that's how things work. I really don't think that's how things work. Oh, man. Again, like with the Mickey thing, that there's contracts and rights and limitations yeah. that sometimes don't make sense to the people out in the seats. But
0: And speaking of the Mickey thing, where we saw Mickey, the North Shore Center for the Performing Arts, uh, we went there for our next concert, which wasn't until literally... Nine days before we're recording this. Yeah. So we went that long without seeing a musical performance. And we ended our year in concerts this year, just as we did last year. Jake Shimabukuro, if yes. I, I'm i probably getting that no, pronunciation. No, you got it. I okay. think you got it right. Uh, those of you who don't know, who didn't hear the episode last year or don't remember from last year, he is a ukulele virtuoso from Hawaii, or as he says, Hawaii. And he's amazing. Holy crap.
1: Yeah, I think he's like half Hawaiian, half Japanese, or he's Japanese and just grew up in Hawaii, so he claims that that as part of his culture.
0: A lot of things he does is inspired by Japanese sayings Mm -hmm. and words and things.
1: Yeah. It was billed as a holiday show, but it had a mix of Christmas songs and other songs, original songs covers of things. And he had with him, as he did last time, two good friends. One plays the bass for him and the other plays guitar and sings. Because as talented as Jake is on his instrument, he admits he is not a singer. Yeah. <laughs> so his his friend, um, Justin takes charge of the singing, and he has a beautiful voice, Mm -hmm. so that's not a bad thing at all. Yeah, And just like last time, he had to mention that he is a Bears fan, (laughs) a lifelong Bears fan, so he understood the pain that we're all feeling right
0: now. Yeah, and shock of all shocks, the Bears actually won a few days later. Good Lord. Uh,
1: So some of the things they performed we had seen before, but that's okay because they were brilliantly performed oh yeah absolutely jake also pulled out his uh rendition of bohemian rhapsody which is what put him on the map so i will never complain about hearing that
0: i think the highlight for me when i think the dumbest christmas song i'm talking the traditional christmas songs not like i'm talking aside from say christmas shoes (sighs) (sighs) the dumbest traditional christmas song ever to me is little drummer boy I think it's pointless. I think the lyrics are stupid. But he did this rendition of Little Drummer Boy that he said was inspired by the time when he was in marching band in high school. I think yeah. it was high school. And he was in the drum line. And one day after rehearsal or practice or something, one day he went into the band room and he wired up his ukulele into a bass amp and tried to simulate with his uke the drum line. And yeah. God help me. When he started playing Little Drummer Boy, he made his ook sound just like a drum line. He
1: basically, and and that's one of the things that's really cool about him is that he stretches the boundaries of this instrument and what it can do. I mean, as we know, know, an acoustic instrument, I mean, you've heard it with other artists that a guitar can be used as a percussion instrument in certain ways. It's also that Jake uses various technologies, some of which are pretty recent, to his advantage to be able to replicate a sound like that. And he also um, has a little piece of uh, equipment that's down on the floor at his feet, where he can basically play something and it'll record, and then he can take that and play it on a loop and then play live to that little recorded piece.
0: And he can multi-track that yeah. too.
1: So he can basically it, it's almost like a live recording session where yeah. he can create a loop and then play to that, record that and loop that and play a third thing and build it up to like a whole a whole big piece of like multiple sounds. Yeah, and even
0: if you don't have one of those stomp boxes, you can do that with an iPad app too.
1: Well yeah, but I mean when you're on stage, when you're on
0: stage, yeah. You're
1: going to want something. I mean, this is designed obviously oh, yeah. for the stage yes. where you can just step on it and it's very quick. Yep. You don't have to like, oh, my iPad locked. I have to unlock it and yep. I have to go back into this <laughs> app and what's my password? Like I think that that might be a little more conducive
0: would, to performances. I
1: mean, yeah, I'm sure it can be done, but this is designed for the stage performer to make it as easy as possible. So, and also, too, if you're playing your ook, your hands are busy. You can't really mess with your iPad yeah. that way. This it's mm-hmm. operated mm-hmm. by your feet, so it's a lot easier for him to use. So. That was extremely impressive. And another terrible Christmas song. (laughs) All I Want for Christmas is You. He has his own version of it, which was much, much better than Mariah Carey's version.
0: (laughs) A lot more enjoyable. Of course, what was my big fear that whole night? What? That he might whip out, that I was like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't. Not now. Not now. What? What? Last Christmas. Ah!
1: Yeah, because you were playing Whamageddon. Yeah. Yeah, I actually thought of that like the day before and I looked at his set, his pre, the previous few set lists. And it's like, okay, he's not doing it (laughs) because you would have been out.
0: Yeah. Well, two days later, I accidentally whammed myself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it wouldn't have made much difference.
1: The thing is, if he's in your area and this, and he does tour pretty extensively, he hits a lot of places around the united states. Dude, go see him cuz his show is very happy. It's very positive. It's just you're going to feel good.
0: And he's just freaking amazing too. He and, does, and his and his buddies too. They're great.
1: I know from following him on social media, he does do things in Hawaii involving schools and kids like I know he was part of an effort to at several Public library branches in Honolulu, and I think in other cities in Hawaii, kids can check out ukuleles. Oh, wow. So he helped set that up. Oh,
0: that's awesome. He
1: mentioned how he's like, the three of us have never touched a drug in our whole lives. Like, I mean, he's just a happy dude. Yep. And he seems to really, really enjoy what he does, and oh, he yeah. works hard. And I think he's always learning and creating and trying new things. So It's a good, happy show. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you definitely will be entertained if you take in his show.
0: And it was like a realization for me, too. Well, not, it was just more confirmation, actually, for me. Because I remember in 2018, when we saw Brian Wilson, the night after Ruthie, our our Beagle, died, I felt fantastic after that show. It's the, The music healed me. I felt the same way after Jake's show. Because... I had been battling this really nasty cold that did not want to go away. I'm still battling some of the symptoms now, but I almost had a coughing fit in the middle of the show, and I was just forcing it from not coming out because I didn't want to be that guy coughing and running out and exiting the theater to go to the bathroom. And I was still feeling a little bit of it throughout the show, but man, after the show was over, I'm like, oh my God, I feel so much better now. Music heals.
1: Yes, Well, just kind of going back to Tommy and The Who, it's like, yeah, stand up and sing passionately, listening to you with a venue full of people, and you're going to feel good. Yeah, (laughs) You're going to feel like you got some muck out of you, and you're going to feel a lot better than when you walked into that venue. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: So that was 2023 in our concerts. I'm gonna ask the usual question, What do you hope to see in twenty twenty four and we and I know the first thing that's probably going to come to your mind that actually might happen, Paul McCartney, oh man, he's touring South America now,
1: yep, I mean, he had put out a bunch of shows in well, he already did shows in Australia and Mexico. And he's doing some South America. He's probably wrapping that up, if that isn't wrapped up already, uh, before the holidays. And yes, I am very hoping that he will come here. I mean, it's not outrageous because Paul loves the United States. I mean, there's... He has an
0: office in the U.S.
1: It's not like he's not going to perform. Well, his wife is American, okay? That's true, yeah. But... I just really, 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 really hope because, I mean, we've seen Paul a number of times going back to 2002, and it's just, yeah, with the Paul show, while there are stuff things he puts in the set list, there's also a lot of old chestnuts that you're going to hear every time, but I mean, I am never, ever going to complain about Singing along to "Hey Jude" with the guy who wrote it and like sixty thousand other people. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just a beautiful thing. And even though we've been lucky enough to have that experience a number of times, I just want it one more
0: time. That would be pretty cool. I mean, I won't be disappointed if I don't get to have that experience again because I've seen him several times, and you know, it's like you know, for me, I would really love to see the Surfer Jets. Yeah. I love them so much. They were in they were in they were here in town a couple of times this year, but one time it was in a biker bar in the well, West Loop and I didn't want to hang out in a biker bar. Well,
1: it was also part of a whole
0: It was part of a biker thing. festival, I think.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't like they were doing their concert it was they were on the bill with a bunch of other people yeah. and it's not like you're just gonna go and see them you gotta sit through a bunch of other bands who of yeah. course might be good but oh, yeah, maybe course. not <laughs> and and
0: they, they were here again i think either it was on a really bad night or we were on vacation maybe I yeah don't i think
1: i think it was something we we couldn't make it to
0: yeah and someone else I would love to see, and it would require a trip to California. Obuhu,
1: the Tikiyaki Orchestra, the Tikiyaki
0: Orchestra. Oh, oh my yeah. god! I, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're on the same label as the Surfer Jets. They're on a High Tide recordings, and um, I just saw an email about them one day from High Tide, and I'm like, well, let me check them out. And I listened to a little bit of their. I'm like, oh my god, yes, this is awesome. It is
1: like super deliciously tacky music. Yeah. And their current Hawaiian lounge and like their current logo is basically riffed off of the Pan Am logo, which makes me wonder if the Pan Am logo is just public domain right now because (laughs) it's pretty much an exact replica. So (laughs) unless they paid somebody for the rights to use that logo, I don't know, but it kind of made me laugh. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would like to see that. And if Jake
0: does a show again, oh yeah, I'm so there.
1: Oh yeah. And I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm kind of still stuck in a little space when it comes to music because a lot of the artists that truly mean a lot to me are getting up there and like Brian Wilson isn't going to be touring anymore. And it's just Mickey. It's not really the Monkeys anymore. <laughs> How many more years is Mickey going to do his thing? So it's just like, man, I got to get into some other people's just so I have shows to go to, but nothing's really hit me yet. I mean, it might happen, but I'm kind of in a little spot.
0: Yeah, I'm in the same place. I'm in the same place, you know. We're old souls, I well, guess. We are. I don't know.
1: We are. And but I mean, there's still, you know, there's plenty of great music out there. And there's things where I hear a song and I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. But I don't know if I want to go see a whole show of that person. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's a difference between digging one song and then wanting to like buy a ticket And go out to see a whole concert by this person where you may not know a lot of their material or you may not like a lot of their material. It's like last year how I had bought a ticket to see the B 52s, but then when I looked at their set list, I realized that what I really like from them was the Cosmic Thing album, which is kind of a style that they only had for that album. Like Cosmic Thing is not like their previous music. And I didn't really care for their previous music. So I'm like, if it was a show where they were going to be performing the whole Cosmic Thing album, now we're talking. Hmm. But it's like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I don't really think I like a lot of this stuff. (laughs) So I got rid of the ticket.
0: (laughs) But hey, we'll see what happens. and, And hey, we can always play the records.
1: Well, yeah, but it's still great. It's
0: still great to hear live music. It's still great
1: to go see a show. I mean, I went to see Hamilton myself because somebody doesn't like Hamilton because he's, I don't know, has sensible problems. Because I had seen Hamilton several times when it was in Chicago before. And during the pandemic, I'm like, man, if Hamilton comes back here, I got to go see it. So it did come back here this year, and I'm like, okay, I'm there. And even though I had been to shows, just still walking into that theater, I'm like, this feels so good. (laughs) Like, it feels so good to sit in an audience and have people right there. I mean, that's why I don't like movies, because there's a big difference between a movie and a live show. I mean, there's nothing like a live show. You
0: just got to see the right movies. No. Unfortunately, they just don't make the right movies.
1: No, no.
0: Anyway, uh, that's... (laughs) That's uh... a
1: topic for another day.
0: Yeah, and uh, so I guess that's uh, Schnuck's music for chapter 47. Wow. I did this thing 47 times. Wow. Wow. Oh, and I forgot to mention that I also hope that Stevie Wonder... Does a tour, or if not a tour, at least a concert that we can attend. Because, man, I haven't seen Stevie since the Songs for the Key of Life tour. And I know he took a break because I think, was it a kid? He had to have a kidney transplant, I think, but I know he's gotten better since and he's done a couple of shows here and there. I just hope that we get a chance to see him. Oh my goodness, he's a hell of a performer. Having said all that, ladies, gentlemen, and everybody else, that was Autobiography of a Schnook, Chapter 47. Now, I don't know when I'm going to do Chapter 48. Um, I have material ready. I just don't know if I'm going to be doing it in January or February or whatever else have you, but I will certainly uh, sit down, figure it out, and try. Uh, no reason I can't do it in January, but oh, you know what? It is coming up in January. I don't remember if I mentioned this in Chapter 47, but I have a new podcast coming out. Kind of a spinoff of Chapter 20 of this podcast, the all-vinyl episode. The new podcast is going to be called My Weird Record Collection. And uh, I have a whole bunch of records, probably about 65 or so, and growing of just strange, odd, hard-to-categorize records that you find in used record stores under the Miscellaneous tab. Uh, Sometimes it's under Spoken Word, and sometimes it's not, uh, especially because a lot of these are not necessarily Spoken Word, some of them are music. The kind of things you might find in an estate sale, a uh, thrift store, or whatever else have you. And um, once again, I have to cross promote and mention my friend Jim, co host of Pie Factory podcast with me, who suggested that I make a podcast about these weird albums that I've been picking up. So that's exactly what I'm going to be doing. So check your favorite podcast supplier for my weird record collection. Going to have kind of the episode zero coming out at the beginning of the year. And then once a month, a full dedicated episode. I'm going to shoot for the 15th of every month. So, episode zero, I'm hoping January 1st, 2024. And then, episode one will be January 15th, 2024. And then, the 15th of every month after that, there'll be a new episode, maybe with some bonus content here and there. So, keep an eye out for that. Uh, you can go to myweirdrecords.fab4it.com. Fab4it is spelled F A B, then the number four, and then it.com. And you can follow it on My Weird Records on the social media platforms. And also look for My Weird Record collection on Facebook. As for this podcast, you can follow it on uh, whatever they're calling Twitter these days. I call it Twitter. Schnook Podcast is the handle. Also on Instagram, but honestly, I hardly ever look at Instagram. So good luck with that. And my email address is autobio at schnookpodcast.com. Any relevant show notes for this episode will be in the online bibliography at schnookpodcast.com, the website, and any sound bites or songs that I use in this podcast episode that are not mine are the property of their respective copyright holders and are used for review and commentary and infringement is not intended. But having said all that, I hope everybody has a wonderful 2024. Hope I do too. So let's make that good go around next year. All the best, my friends. To finance the new house, my grandfather sold the summer cottage, or summer college, according to my notes here. Um, You're not going to see that, but I don't care. It bothers me. I am changing college to cottage there.